take a time machine back to before the world went to hell. Around the year 2000. The 80s and 90s were so rad. The movies, the music, the TV, the games. That's what I want to talk about. Like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And continue the conversation on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're cool enough, join the show on Patreon for exclusive bonus content. And now... Less Than 2,000 with Adam Wentz and Chad Bischoff. Less Than 2,000. The podcast. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Yeah, The end man. of the season episode. Ah, uh, it's, you know, it's cold outside. It's uh, it's that time of year. The weather is outside never... is frightful, dumb, dumb, <laughs> delightful. Yeah, that's that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to figure out how I could bait you into singing. I'm a little I'm a little off because of the whole like new setup kind of thing. Like I'm yeah. back to where we started. I mean, we're literally back to where we started because of my my flood. I'll just say my flood. So the studio is is gone. Longtime fans of the show will will no doubt remember that we always end the season on Thanksgiving. That is the final episode of every season. We weren't yes. able to do that this year because of circumstances well beyond our control. So, in 30 seconds, say as much or as little about the circumstances beyond your control that you want to share with the people. You said something about a flood. Yeah. Well, I mean- Chad's studio is no more. Yeah, my entire basement is no more. I mean, let me set it up by saying this. Chad calls me up and goes, Adam, remember the basement that we grew up in? The basement where our entertainment careers started with the Paul and Fred video back in 91. Yeah, Chad's childhood basement is no more. Well, it's it, well. What's funny is it's back to where it was when we were doing Paul and Fred. It's it's all of the concrete is now exposed. Half the walls are knocked down. I mean, man, all I'll say is for anybody that that lives in the Midwest and has a basement, or anyone that has a basement, if you've ever experienced, it, all I did was go down and check the pilot light on the water heater. I'm like, what? there's no hot water. I just went down. I thought maybe the pilot light went out. I'm like. I'm going to go down. I'm going to do the responsible homeowner thing, not continue to have people take cold showers. And as soon as I kind of got down there, something felt odd. And I started flipping on lights. And then soon enough, I heard on my foot and thought, I'm going to go the opposite way around. And so I went through the studio background, flipped on lights, and it was a Tarantino movie of like sewer backup disgusting awful you can't let poop water sit you can't you can't have that sit it's a category three it's like everything it touches must go and literally it's back to concrete it's back to where it was pre-93 Okay, ninety-one. Where it's cement. No, I think wasn't our basements finished in in ninety? Oh yeah, 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 three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, it's back to that. So the weather outside and inside is frightful, dumb, de dum, not delightful. So Chad is. <laughs> this is obligat. This is an obligatory question. I'm sorry to do it, but we have to. It's mandatory. It's in the contract. If any podcaster 
or YouTube or anybody ever talks about the movie Die Hard, the first question mandatorily has to be, is it a Christmas movie? Well, the answer to that is yes. But I think the story leading up to that, for me, is more interesting because my wife, as and I, and I, she doesn't like movies, right? We've talked about this for years now. <laughs> but Christmas time, we have to watch everything. And circa 2017, 2018, I remember I slid into the bathroom where she was getting ready, doing her hair. And I said, babe, how would you like to watch the greatest Christmas movie of all time? And she goes, What? What is it? And I said, die hard. And she looked at me like I was insane, but convinced her somehow to watch it. So we, we like days later, tee it up. We're watching it. And not only does she love it. I mean, we have to watch it every single year. It kicks off the Christmas season. There's Thanksgiving. Then there's die hard. But halfway through, I realized in tricking my wife to watch the greatest Christmas movie of all time, I realized I had not seen Die Hard until that moment in 2018 or whatever it was. Oh, this was that recent? <laughs> that is You're that recent? kidding. Oh, man. I'd never seen it. I'd seen Die Hard with a Vengeance. I'd seen, I'd yeah. seen the other stuff when you know, we were a little older, you know? I don't think I ever went back and saw the original Die Hard. That's I had no so idea. funny. What? That's first of all, epic fail on younger Chad. Second of all, that's the second time you've basically told that story on this show. The last time being Star Wars. Yeah, you were no, like, I go. I haven't seen Star Wars, and you were like thirty. <laughs> this is even worse. You were like. Past 38. (laughs) I was approaching 40 before I saw Die Hard. I might as well, for the sake of the story, be 40. So I saw Star Wars at 30, and I saw Die Hard at 40. I don't know, man. I don't know. It it is about the same story. How is it that you and I watched The Last Boy Scout together multiple times, but we never watched Die Hard together? Like, I became a Bruce Willis guy because of Pulp Fiction. Before that, uh... I had heard about Die Hard, but I'm like, he's not like Arnie. He's not like Stallone. He's bald. He's not that ripped. Not understanding at the time that what makes him so great is that he isn't like Stallone and that he isn't like Schwarzenegger. That, that he's only charm. a slightly better Adam and Chad running around shoeless on broken glass <laughs> exactly. trying to like get to his his ex <laughs> so after seeing him as butchy in pulp fiction i'm like i have to see everything this guy ever did and you know went back to so the when last did you Boy see Scout. it so when did you in see high school the movie for the first time in high in school high, okay. oh sure yeah loved it it was a great movie is Fantastic. it a christmas movie to you it is i uh, i was i was, I was go- the opposite i know i i <laughs> I could take that position and, you know, there was a time on the show when I would lie to you just to create artificial controversy in order to, you know, be controversial and whatever. What? what what's the word? Troll you. For the sake of good content, I don't force these things on the show. But here's my argument why it's not. <laughs> Having rejected the argument, this is the position I would have taken if I were to play devil's advocate. Um, it was released in July. 
Okay, it was released on July 22nd, 1988. Dead of summer, it was a summer blockbuster. Nothing Christmas at all about that release date. It was not a Christmas release. Number no, two. I know. Does every movie that has some reference to Christmas necessarily make it a Christmas movie? Because if not- that's the case, then that means... Eyes Wide Shut by Stanley Kubrick is a Christmas movie. And if you've oh, seen that my, movie, you know it's not a Christmas movie. It's on my movie. list. Every Christmas, man. That's on my list. I go down. That's on the- my list. <laughs> <laughs> you know I think Eyes Wide Shut no, is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. That's what I, I guess that's what I do next. Hey, babe, how would you like to watch the second greatest Christmas movie of all time and then put that on? I don't think we'll have the same reaction. <laughs> So, so there's two, you could have two camps on this. Yeah, there's two schools of thought. One is that if the movie is set around Christmas time, does that make it a Christmas movie? Like Home Alone, like Gremlins. See, it's funny because I think Gremlins is a Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking the other day, I want to go back and watch Gremlins. Yeah, I, I do think it's a Christmas movie. There's Christmas all throughout this thing. And... Yeah, it just had to be released in July. So it was ready for home video around the time of the holidays. Yeah. On Betamax. There was a lot of movies where people in the summer start missing Christmas. They start missing the holidays. It's the dead of summer. They're at the pools, you know. And so, like, it's sort of like you get your action and then you get that thought of, like, Christmas is right around the corner five months from now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, five and a half, maybe. I want to go on record and correct something I said on an earlier episode of Less Than 2000. Okay. On the Predator episode, I said Predator was my second favorite action movie of the 1980s. And I put Predator ahead of Die Hard. I believed that at the time. You were so enraged, you... Ended the show on the spot. You, that's it. No more discussion. As soon as I said it's a better than Die Hard, that was the end of that discussion. I have to say, watching Die Hard again for the first time in years, Die Hard is the better 80s action movie. Thank you. Is <laughs> by the same director. And this takes nothing away from Predator. Predator no, is awesome. It's top five for sure. Maybe three. I'll just bump it down to three. But here's the thing. Die Hard has so much that Predator doesn't. Die Hard has all the all that humor, all the, all the character stuff. Tons yeah. of character stuff. It's got a, a super... Like, not that the Predator wasn't an awesome villain. It was an amazing villain. But come on, Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber's like... One of the one of the best '80s action bad guys, foreign, charming, like debonair. There's Die Hard gets it. Die Hard gets the edge. Better premise, arguably. Um, a lot more going I, on in it, <laughs> rather than just like six guys in the jungle. <laughs> See, I'm not going to point out the fact that I was right. I think that the better thing to point out here is the fact that I should be proud that you came around, that you wisened up, that you learned something from the process of this show, that the first answer you gave was stupid. 
And now you're at the right place. So, you know, like, I'm not going to point out that it was dumb to begin with. <laughs> Do you have the applause You've button? come around. Actually, I was looking. I was. I was looking for it, but I got the whole new rig. I don't know because I'm on my. I'm not in my yes. studio. I can't do anything. Chad's ah, studio flooded, so he's all. He's in a different room. I'm he's on so a different machine. He doesn't have right everything now. pulled up. He's got like nine Ooh. less screens than he normally has. But but what I did find, actually, believe it or not, just because I'm trying to. You better have cuffs ready it. to go. Yeah! There we go. We definitely need that for this episode, for sure. An episode on Die Hard is necessarily going to entail the cuffs music. You stick around and find out why at the end of this episode. If you make it, that's called a cliffhanger. Hey, got the cliffhanger. We were going to start the episode with a cliffhanger, but we never got to it. Now so, we got it in. There it is. <laughs> Stick so, around. So, so speaking about the greatest, you you keep mentioning, you know, Arnie. Arnie was, uh, I mean, he was supposed, I mean, he had the offer to do the movie. Yes, he, he did. He turned it down because he wanted to do twins. He Oof. wanted to branch out. He wanted to, he wanted to stop being just all muscles and mm-hmm. start going to comedy. He wanted that to get away decision. from the guns. It was for him. I think it, I think he went, uh, I think. There's a lot that he gained from that. But what's crazy is the list of actors that turned it down on yes. top of that. Please go through Before Bruce Willis from Sylvester Stallone, Richard Gere, right. Clint Eastwood, hmm. Harrison Ford, Burt Reynolds, Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson, Don Johnson, Richard Dean Anderson, Paul Newman, James Caan, and Al Pacino. All turned down the movie. If, if you can believe it or not, Frank Sinatra was actually considered too because Die Hard First. is actually the sequel to a book, The Detective, that was made into a movie yes. in the 60s starring Frank Sinatra. This is a, Die Hard is actually a sequel of something. But So yeah, he was in his 70s. Of that entire list... They, first of all, they were all... They, they all made, mostly made mistakes by turning this down. This had to be Bruce Bruce Willis's movie. This was Bruce Willis made this thing. This is a completely different movie with Richard Gere. Okay, this is a completely with any of them. Any of Al Pacino, Sylvester Stallone, Richard. I mean, any of these guys. Clint Eastwood. And yes, I can't believe I forgot the number one Frank Sinatra because it was a sequel originally. This is the the definition. I was talking before when we were, you know, having our little rambling before here about, you know, the entertainment industry and how hard it is to get things sold, made, everything. This is living proof that no matter mm-hmm. where you're at in your career, you can be, I'm just going to say, number 16th on the list <laughs> and become an epic effing star by being number 16 and the right thing happens i've said it before the right things happen and when you blend the problems of of movie making or art with whatever ends up out in the world it's the right answer as much as i love every one of those actors you cannot have die hard and not have Bruce Willis. I'm sorry. I, I agree with that. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tear your premise apart. That like everything that happens is perfect. Like no things that we know about the things that work out. We know about Eric Stoltz being replaced 
by Michael J. Fox. We know about, it, you know, Bill and Ted's time van not existing. Okay. We know about Bruce Willis being in Die Hard, but there's a million other things that could have been better because they didn't get the right actor or whatever. So, I mean, I agree with you for this particular thing, but yes, no, 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 I said there were not things always that are... happy accidents. Sometimes no. there's <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm saying when they work, it was meant to be absolutely I'm not not when it doesn't work when it doesn't work it just didn't work i'm not yes. i'm not saying every piece of art deserves to exist in in infamy and and it, all that stuff but in this case in bruce willis work. bruce willis especially at this point in his life his age his appearance his his pedigree cuz he had you know been a television actor before this this was this was his role. This would not be the same movie with anybody else. And he was the perfect age, the perfect look, the perfect mix of tough guy, yet realistic guy. You said, this is like seeing Adam and Chad in this situation. Running on broken glass. He can still kick ass, but he's not he's not the Terminator. He's not Rambo. That would kill it. That if he was if he was if it was the rock. It wouldn't have the same effect, although The Rock has some comedicness to him. Um, but you you need you needed to have that perfect everyman slash funny guy slash tough. I mean, he was he was everything. He was the absolute perfect thing for this role, and and absolutely. then made the movie. But absolutely so perfect, so perfect in fact that the original movie poster didn't even feature him. Right. You can't make movies like this today. The studio went 20th Century Fox said nobody's going to believe Bruce Willis on the poster <laughs> on the one sheet. So let's just put the building. The right. building was more famous than Bruce Willis. It pictured the building black and white an adventure that will blow you through the back wall of the theater. And that poster got more people in the theater than putting Bruce Willis's face on it. Because they were like, oh, he's just a television actor. Like, we don't want to bring down our movie with some TV guy on the poster. And But well, you'll notice later they added him in and they put him on the VHS and they put him on the DVD because it's, it's Bruce Willis. But they didn't have the foresight to see, hey, maybe this will make him a star. Maybe this will launch him. Because that, I mean, yeah. that building, it's not like it was the two towers. It was it was a Fox building. It was a Fox building that was closed <laughs> that they shot in. And yeah. Fox paid themselves rent to do it. So, you know, they it, it's just some building. It, but that is crazy, like, how low he was in 1988. And the only reason he was even able to be in it was because his co-star, Sybil Shepard, Got, got pregnant, pregnant and had to have her baby. So I was like, <laughs> happy accidents galore. It made such a, such a memorable performance. And, and the script, I mean, it's a great premise. It's a great setting for a film. I mean, I love Predator. I love seeing sweaty men with big bulging muscles go into the jungle all day long with their, with their mini guns, right? And rocket launchers. But something about a single guy on the run in only so many buildings uh, with hostages involved and, and everything going on is just an amazing premise and a great and amazing setting. Yeah. And anybody that's ever tried to mimic it again has failed because you, how do you redo that? It's it, Die Hard had everything going for it and it was awesome. 
But here's what's even crazier about it. They paid Bruce Willis an obscene amount of money. Every other A-list actor's rate went up because of him. Because when everybody passed, instead of just going, we're going to put this no-name TV actor in. And by the way, it wasn't just TV. It was like a soap, if I remember correctly. He was like a soap guy, okay? They paid him $5 million in 88 to come in and play it. So all of the trades and everybody writing about it was like, they paid Bruce Willis. I'm sorry, what now? Huh? <laughs> Wouldn't even put him on the on the poster. Everybody owes it to Bruce Willis because he he really is the the engine that drives this this very sleek '80s sports car that is Die Hard. But there's so much else going for it too, like with the love story and the the whole thing with his estranged wife and and there you you really feel it. And there's this undercurrent through it all that just has this personal touch that like what any i'm just gonna keep going back to predator do any (laughs) of those guys have wives i mean like what's going on with them like they're just nameless guys in the jungle you know what i mean all we know about them is they're a team you know what i mean guy number three (laughs) and 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 it and it was sad uh die hard with a vengeance to find out that like they ultimately didn't work it out I mean, I have not seen Die Hard 4 or anything past 3, Die Hard with a Vengeance, which was awesome. But, I mean, come on. I, I, that always just makes, it just makes me sad when they can't work it out. He, he went to all that length. They, they got through all that. At the end of Die Hard, she's like, it's McLean. <laughs> she's I know, a, she, right? I know. And then it's, by vengeance, she's no more. <laughs> she's hardly even mentioned. He's like, he's just hung over. You know, he's back in New York, clearly alone. Like, <laughs> it didn't work out. Like, I think maybe it one was of his friends cool that they went it. back to. It is cool that they went to New York for 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 vengeance. You know, dude, like, I love Die Hard with a Vengeance. That was the first one I saw of all of same. them. And, and and Samuel L. Jackson is so great in that. And sometimes people didn't like it because it, it did it, it didn't have the premise of being in the one contained thing like in one it was the nakatomi building and two it was the airport and now they're all over the place but there's three has so much going for it especially with samuel oh. l jackson and and uh, jeremy irons was just fantastic in that and driving all around in the explosions and everything die hard 2 i i remember it for dennis franz that had nypd blues it had sipowitz in it basically and what people didn't like about it was it was too similar to the first one. It's like, now they're in an airport. Um, but then by the time they get to Vengeance, they're mad that they're not in one location. Exactly. See, people, shut <laughs> people up. Suck. Exactly. Yeah, just shut That's up. That's the reaction I was looking for, Chad. That's exactly what I know. See, we covered two and three. <laughs> there we go. And, and my, obviously anything past three Chad doesn't take. exist in my universe. So <laughs> I don't even know how many there are. You know what's great about this? Great blast of the 80s slash early 90s. This movie has Carl Winslow in it, bro. Yes. Reginald Vell Johnson. Oh, my gosh. He's so, like, in my head canon is this is the same cop who then retired or or then moved to Chicago and then started the family and <laughs> Urkel moved in next door or whatever and has a crush on his. <laughs> he, he, I like that story in your head. It's like, I'm done with L.A. I'm going to move to Chicago. And just be like a normal cop there. <laughs> he was so good in this movie. Like, he's he's such a good actor. 
Yeah. I, I'm blown away by the 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 subtle it, the way he pushes back to the the bosses because of course like every single cop thing ever the only real cops are the rank and file foot soldiers like the street cops those are the only guys that know everything the higher you go there are supervisors the people they call at dispatcher idiots the people who show up, their bosses on the scene, the sergeants and lieutenants are idiots. Then the FBI comes in and just forget about it. The FBI just comes in and gets their hop helicopter shot down. Yeah. The only guys that know anything are like the foot soldiers on the ground that are like, I shot a kid. It, so, <laughs> yeah. I, so I just walk around the streets all the time. <laughs> But that's every movie. Every movie. Every movie. The the, the <laughs> FBI is stupid. Yes. The boss, the head, the head of the police department is dumb as all get out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always the same because. But you can relate to it because we've all had that boss that has said stuff to us that really makes us go, "You know, Jack." And you move, have to move on and pretend that they're... And so in movies, we get to live that out, you know? And so that's cool. But but in talking about this, one of the things that I didn't think about until you, what you were just talking about was I love that the media, that the news reporters are so invasive in a bad way mm-hmm. that, that it causes a problem in the storyline. And then the, 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 you know, the, the, former missus punches the reporter in the face at the end yes. because it, this was before i mean media you know it's like it was invasive but like you start getting into the early 2000s yeah with all the paparazzi stuff and the super invasive stuff that you could write and this was about. 88 this was 88 and they were already like oh my god this is too much so i this just, was before oj they, yes <laughs> So, like, I love that they made fun of the media in this, in that way. Like, I thought it was great. And, of course, it's Walter Peck. Another great 80s. (laughs) William Atherton kills it. He plays the same guy because poor (laughs) bastard had to go through life since 1984 with everybody he ever met calling him and just can't catch a break. He was too good as Walter Peck. It ruined his life. So he gets a role like this, and he's so great. His face is so punchable. He's really mastered that. Like, I'm just going to be Walter Peck the rest of my career. And God bless you. (laughs) But it was so good. She punches him, and then he looks at the camera and goes, did you get that? You know? (laughs) He's just perfect. See, that's an extra layer that Predator doesn't have. Like, it doesn't, like, imagine if there were reporters, like, coming in and be like, what's going on in the jungle, Mr. Schwarzenegger? What's going on, Dutch? Tell us what's going on. It's, you know, you're going to Well, what's it. funny is, now, now, interestingly, we, the, and I don't know what pieces are what, because it, it, in, in my research, it was mainly, mainly around McLean and, and Gruber, but we actually owe more of that lighthearted stuff in the movie to a new script writer who came on board. The original script was like very dark. Very dark. Very Because it was more based on the book and the sequel Correct. to the other thing where it was like, he was like an alcoholic, or like, you know, like an a- Like yeah. he wasn't a lovable a- He was just an a- <laughs> So I can see like Clint Eastwood playing that well because he had the rights to this. He had, Eastwood yeah. had the rights to it for years. Um, oh, Wow. Because he was thinking it was going to be like a kind of a dirty, hairy type thing for him. 
But right. Can, and so, the so yeah. So Jeb, Jeb Stewart, yeah, had, had followed that. Now, one thing that I just learned it was Joel Silver, the I mean, I mean, very famous producer, massive A list producer, done ton of stuff. Went up to Jeb and said, "It's nothing personal, but you're fired." <laughs> like literally, just on the spot, you're fired. This has nothing to do with the script. I love the script, but I don't know you. And I've got to make a hit movie. Like, oh, wow. just fired him. And it was somebody else who fought for him. And eventually they brought in this other Steven writer who kind of lightened it up. But luckily, Jeb got to stay on board. But between the two of them, one brought the comedy and a little bit of that lighthearted stuff that we yeah. all love. And the other They brought one in a Shane Black. Kind of yeah, they brought exactly. in a Shane Black to bring in some yes. comedy to it. Which and, and Shane Black is the reason for the title, Die Hard. No kidding, <laughs> he got That's it crazy. from Shane Black <laughs> because Shane Black wanted to use it. For, it was the original title for the Last Boy Scout. <laughs> Full circle, and so Joel Silver managed to convince him to hand it over to him when they worked together on Predator. I need to have the Die Hard title. <laughs> Every year that I watch Die Hard since. 2018 uh i always think to myself i love this i love this villain because he mm. really is just kind of like a business schmuck kind of turned bad to just steal he's just like a regular guy just trying to steal oh i think he's a mastermind he's a mastermind but not totally you know what I mean? There's still he, an approachability to him okay. like there is with Bruce Willis. Okay, that, there you go. A, There's, I'm they just parallel talk each other. To you. Yeah, yeah. They, they parallel each other that way. You're right, because like compare him to his brother, Jeremy Irons, who is a mastermind. The Correct. Simon Says guy who has all yeah. these plots <laughs> within plots and traps and... You know, there's a bomb that goes off over here, so it's a distraction from over here, and everything's timed. This guy is more like, like he's he's a really good businessman schmuck, kind of yeah. like McLean is a really good cop, but they're yeah. just regular guys. Well, that's what I mean. They, they're they're approachable, exactly. Like it's it's interesting, and that's actually what the casting director said. There's something interesting going on here, and it is. It's just interesting, the, you know. But the, I think it works more. Because of Bruce Willis. Imagine having Arnold Schwarzenegger try to have that same conversation when they meet in the hallway for the first it's, time it's or on, so, the to- on that floor. It's so like, perfect. I love I, I it. Mean, it would never work with Schwarzenegger. No. It would never, ever. That's why it'd be a completely different movie. Anybody else? Al Pacino. Imagine it. Yeah. Imagine. There's no He'd way. He'd be yelling could- it. I need a light. <laughs> <laughs> I oh was going to try to do an Arnold impression on that too. Like, but Please, I, I cut you can't. off. I can't. No, I can't. I, it's, it's, it's too much. But just imagine any of their tones in that sequence. <laughs> Doesn't work. So the best story about Alan Rickman is that face he makes when he's falling at the end. The yes. And the story behind that, for those who haven't heard it, is it was a 40-foot drop. They set it up, and the director told him he would go on three, and they let him go early. So that amazing face he makes is genuine, legitimate reaction. And the best part of the story is it's the very last thing they shot with him. Because they thought there was a decent chance that after they do it to him, he would do nothing else on the rest of the movie. He'd be so pissed off. 
<laughs> they wouldn't get any pickup shots. You can't shoot anything out of sequence. Uh, nothing can come after that. As we wrap it up, with respect to our conversation about Die Hard 1988, Ellis, the most 80s thing of this movie, is the character Ellis, the cokehead co-worker of the wife who's busted. She comes into her office. He's in her office doing coke. It's like, oh, I'm just using the phone. And McLean goes, you missed a spot. Yeah. And then the most 80s smarmy guy, like the total yuppie. We've seen this character a million times. We saw him in The Fly. Definitely saw this character in The Fly. The beard and the, and the, the nice Armani suit. And just how he tries and fails so badly to like negotiate and free the hostages and turn on McLean. And they don't even like give him another scene. Like, no, they shoot him right away. They're like, <laughs> you're done. No. And, and my favorite of the whole thing, when he's like, you know, they tee it up and he's like, you know, I have some demands. And then I think they cut away. And when they come back, he's being delivered like a Coca-Cola. <laughs> and I'm going like, it's Wrong never folk. said, it's never said in the movie, but I'm like, that's the demand. I want a Coca-Cola. There's armed terrorists taking over a building. <laughs> and your first thought is, let me first get a refreshing beverage. Coca-Cola. Here was Not my even re- like my read a drink. On my read on Coca-Cola. that was... It was, it, they didn't want to show the actual lines of Coke in, in the thing. But when he said, you know, I want, give me a Coke. He meant, go get my Coke from my desk and bring it in here. <laughs> and they just signified that. It's a code. Your it's answer is way more fun. The problem is it was probably Coca-Cola. It was probably a product placement thing that he had to do. But regardless, I always thought it was hilarious. It was one of those unspoken things that, but I think either which way, that's funny. I, there is so much more than seven men go into a jungle and are, are hunted by an unseen extraterrestrial. You, you keep going back to this. It's something that everybody but you have, has known <laughs> for quite some time. It's like, yes, you're, you're hung up on seven shirtless, sweaty men with muscles, <laughs> uh, you know, running through the terrain of a forest when they, un- yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's yeah. diehard, man. There's so many layers. I mean, See, even predator, even hits the way peak. they wrote it, even the way they, even the way they wrote it, even though, even just the way they handle coming into the scenes when they first get there and not having to do the whole, like, you know, Oh, we're married or we're not. And the, this and the, that, even the simple putting the picture of him down mm-hmm. when they cut, when people come in, they, they're, everything's so subtle. It's re, for an action movie. This is storytelling at its finest where just slight little visual cues tell you more about who these characters are than anything you would need to say. And that's what, why this movie works so well. It's why it's so great. That and all the action and the relatability yeah, but Predator has Arnie and Carl Weathers doing that handshake with the biceps. Again, one fun moment does not make up for an entire cinematic journey. <laughs> oh, the action is better in <laughs> Die Hard, too. There's a lot more of it. There's a lot of action in Die Hard. It's fantastic. What an amazing movie. <laughs> Which is hard to imagine that there's more 
<laughs> action in Die Hard than Predator. That's it, wild to me. Uh, uh, best Christmas action movie ever. Pew, 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 pew. I don't Christmas. have that sound effect still. <laughs> Christmas action movie. Okay, well, now it's time to have another discussion. As we like to do at the end of every season, we like to reflect on the season before and discuss the show as a general, uh, as a whole, and talk about whether we're going to do another season in the coming uh, year. It's been a tremendous ride. 2023 has just been amazing as was 2021 and 22 but uh we have made the decision rather tough decision to stop producing regular episodes of less than 2000 we are going on indefinite hiatus we are not calling this a series finale we are not saying this is the last one ever but we are not going to put out weekly or bi-weekly episodes uh for the foreseeable future it is you know, it's the end of an era. It, it's so crazy that four years flew by so damn fast. <laughs> I mean, I still remember flipping on the first thing and just going, well, let's roast Bill Murray and see what we get. And all of a sudden we were like, hey, we have a show. And like, mm-hmm. it just never stopped for four mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. I mean, so like, it's really like crazy to be here four years later and just like, the 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 growth and just i mean the fun and now everything we've talked about but you know we've talked about all of our favorite stuff like we've talked about the majority of stuff that we had to talk about yep we've talked about minus a few things i think mm-hmm. but on top of that you know uh uh you know creatively you know you've got some really big stuff on the horizon and 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 i'm i'm trying to get into my next film and so it's just, I think there's some amazing stuff going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why, why is the show ending? Why is the show ending now? It's not ending, ending, but why are we not producing regular episodes anymore? Short answer, because it's time. Time in all the best ways. Not time because it's overstayed, it's welcome, but time in that doing this show has opened our eyes to a lot of things and we have as have covered a lot of stuff the uh, the stuff that we absolutely needed to cover we have talked about it for the most part it's been a lot of fun but there's more that we want to do there's more we want to do together there's more we want to do separately and we want to free ourselves up to explore those things the most important episode in all of this for me was noises off um, with Mark Schnitzler and reliving the experience of of how much I enjoyed, we enjoyed doing theater has just completely, I don't know, changed my life, I guess you could say. And 100%. And it was after we recorded that is when I mentioned to Chad, hey, I think this is probably it. I think this is we'll finish out the season and I want to do some more things. And it got really hard to do the show when I'm doing the play five nights a week. This experience has led me to something else. It led me to a next phase for, for me. Yeah. Like I am directing a play. I am, uh, we're casting in January and I've been, I run the drama club at, 
Theatricos and and uh, on Sunday evenings I host a drama club and teach teach people how to do stuff and we did that last night and it was a lot of fun and you know I'll act again I'm also writing a play it I wouldn't have had that if we hadn't have done the noises off episode or I mean, it wouldn't have yeah, been happening to... now and, and yeah. it's so cool like this is like I'm like really connected with the community now like people people know me it's not a big community but I'm putting down roots and like this is home now and this is my my new I want to I want to there's the live theater experience is so much fun. Like, this is great talking to you through a screen. It's great editing the episode. But there's something about the instant feedback, the laughter and the the gasps and all of that that I just can't get enough of. And it's because of our show and it's because of the Mark Schnitzler show that um, I get these opportunities. Well, that's awesome. I mean, it's... One of the things that I loved about the show was how much you progressed. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things that your journey of self-discovery, it's like our entire audience, if you've been with us from day one over the last four years, you've seen you've seen the journey from like the hater era, you know, or, or the, you know, Adam, Adam's turned into a, the, the this has made me feel something era. You know, and and finding your entire way through things actually being cool. Like when you went from hating things that were pop culturally cool to realizing, no, they really are cool. I mean, outside of wrestling, because, you know, you already thought wrestling was cool for some reason. Like there like that discovery. But it led you then to where you're living and rooted now. And now involved in the creative community there and everything that you just said is what is so awesome. We started the show with you complaining about, Adam, you're great at what you do, but you're an (laughs) (laughs) That was like episode two. I think so. (laughs) You went from Walter Peck. Mm. You went from Punchable. (laughs) <laughs> in the office mm. to being one in the arts and and in the environment that is making you thrive. And I'm not blaming myself for this or our show because I think you would have ended up there anyway, but it sure as hell didn't hurt because you are now where you have to be. And I find that to be totally cool to have seen that four-year journey in all of its good and bad, in all of the fun that we had, and also discussions that we were like, is this really real? This, like, this, I, 35 years of friendship, and I had no idea. So mm. to have gone through that, it's it's pretty cool. Wow, man. First of all, I, I mean, thank you. Uh, I'm, thank you for putting it into words. Like, I kind of felt that, but. There's no way I could have said that, and I also didn't know if I also didn't know if you noticed or if anybody else noticed. Dude, you might as well be screaming it from a megaphone. <laughs> anybody that's a regular on this show has to have enjoyed this journey. I, you know I think that's I mean? probably why we went down in our numbers a little bit towards the end. I got too soft. I'm you're happy. One of the hater. The problem is you're happy. You, you lost. <laughs> you lost your edge. You're not punchable anymore. I know. Damn it. So, oh my gosh, I I was going to, 
I mean, you put it into words so well, and it's so much better hearing it from you, <laughs> like not me having to try to put it into words. <laughs> but if I get yeah, if if I could put the whole experience into words, when we started doing this show in early 2020, I thought I was going to discover more stuff about the 80s and 90s. I thought I was going to discover more about the 80s and 90s stuff that I like very much and go deeper and find out who made it and what are the stories behind it. Does it still hold up? What does it look look like 30 years later? I thought I would go back and discover new things from the 80s and 90s I had just overlooked or never heard of or always wanted to see or experience. But what I really discovered is who I am. And I discovered more about myself and my place in the world and what's important to me. And I think nostalgia is fantastic. And just because we're not doing the show doesn't is no commentary on being nostalgic or whatever. It's okay to want to re-experience your childhood or re-experience cool stuff from a bygone era or bad stuff from a bygone area. It's not cool to be stuck there. Everything needs to be through the lens of personal growth and your relationship to it, not, oh, I'm not evolving as a human being. And um, I kind of feel like if we just continue to do this indefinitely, it would be kind of like getting stuck there and doing it for the sake of doing it when I think there's there's more to be had. And I'm excited about the, the more to be had because we all know, Chad and I both know, and all of our hardcore listeners know, that I will go insane in 2024 if I do not talk to Chad about 80s and 90s stuff at some point. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, <laughs> it's not going to well, be regular and since releases, everything's... <laughs> but something is going to pop up on the feed. So stay subscribed. Do not yeah. unsubscribe from any of our services. Yeah, no, 100%. It was funny. Like, So I just did this whole thing about my <laughs> how this show affected me. And I was thinking, well, what have we learned about Chad this whole four-year journey? <laughs> what did we not know about Chad? <laughs> and... Which, which I got to be honest, before you say anything, I, I was going to say, I think that's probably going to be way more interesting for anybody that's followed the show, because your journey was apparent. <laughs> and I have a comment. I have a note. But I am very much interested and curious to find out what Adam thinks he found out about me from what have we, show. What have we learned from doing 123 episodes and hundreds and hundreds of hours of working on this together over four years? Well, I learned Chad really likes Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, specifically Donatello, and specifically because his stick is long and he's got a long-ranged attack on the video game. That's my big takeaway about Chad on Less Than 2000. Thanks very much, and it's been great doing the show with you. Hi, my name is what? My name is what? My name is Sadie. Hi. 123 episodes, and that's all you got? <laughs> that was my big revelation about Chad. <laughs> now, now, wait a minute. Now, wait a tick. Now, wait a minute. I wrote and directed my first movie during this time. 
which was in the middle. You you were in the play at the end of this journey, do you, right? <laughs> so now now I do want to point out the fact that that over the last four years, particularly through season three, which was my favorite season, I think. Me too. I have enjoyed going back and reliving my absolute favorite movies and not just thinking like you said, oh, I'm going to geek out and like go back and like look at it from this different perspective or see what's, what still holds up and all those things. But as a filmmaker, having gone through and been able to look at the films that we loved so much growing up for what they were and being able to analyze them in a much different light completely changed the way I was able to look at my own stuff that I'm doing or the stuff that we talk about. Even by the time we hit season three, being able to have entirely different conversations, especially to find out that since you stopped trolling me, or I guess lying to create conflict, we (laughs) needed me to really step up and start having a more analytical eye on some of this stuff because Adam was getting soft, man. (laughs) So I'm just saying, I'm just saying there's more to it than Donatello's shaft when it comes to what I learned and going through this process, okay? (laughs) Oh, God, I'm just dead. I... My my honest my honest answer would have been something along the is something along those lines. That the thing I enjoyed the most is like breaking down seeing, first of all, we've talked about movies our whole lives together, but seeing like getting to share your professional filmmaker view on it and then realizing, oh, Chad actually knows what he's talking about. He's pretty good at this. <laughs> he's, he's, just, he's, he's like really good at themes and character and what works and what doesn't and why. And if you change one thing and he, he can tell me the difference between Adam, that's the director's fault. That's not the actor. That's not the writer. That's the, or, or that's the producer's fault for this or that. Like, so to see, to, to see that all come together, a lifetime of when we used to just write stuff on notebooks for each other or just set up a camera and wing it, um, to see, and then the journey that you want on professionally to see that all integrated, like in, in meaningful film discussions, uh, was the most fun. But as far as like personal growth and everything, I would say it all relates to music. That's what I see the most in. And I hope you continue your journey. I hope it's not just the one time like, Oh, I listened to that band. We got into it for a week or two and then you passed it on. Cause music is, is such a, like that speaks directly to your soul. I know you're a visual guy and film is everything. It's got, sound it's got sound design it's got music it's got the music of voice shot and all that but you're a very visual person so it's it's it was awesome when we would get detailed into music that wasn't your favorite that made you go wow and i and i hope you continue that 100 awesome i mean I, it's switch on like that. i i have started to go to concerts uh because of you you know, um, I, I said that, you know, a number of episodes back and I uh, in, in our music episodes and I and I stand by that. It's I very much. Yes, I guess that is true. Like it's been great 
professionally being able to go through those things, but music is something that has always fascinated me because it's what I don't know. When you're used to the visuals and writing and doing those types of things, to be able to feel something that you don't understand, but it hits you in a different way. That's what music does for me. And that's what, that's what fuels me so much. And, and I, I, I absolutely love it. I, as a kid, I did. And, and I appreciate it more because of this journey. I appreciate music more today than I ever have in my entire life. That's awesome. Which is why I bought a turntable and spent way <laughs> too much money on vinyl long before, a year before, a year and a half before I realized that I was going to lose my entire basement to sewage. Thank you a million times to anybody that listened to a single second of a single episode. Thank you <laughs> a trillion times to the people who have listened to every episode or most of our episodes. Thank you so much for your, your sticking with us, watching our journey. It means a lot to me. And it means a lot to me that even after we're done putting out episodes, we have left this legacy of 123 episodes. Patrons, thank you so much for sticking with us. You are the... The ultimate fans. Thank you to our guests. We Chad, we've had 22 guests. Some guests have been on multiple wow. times. But we've had 22 different guests. And it's very fitting that the last guest we ever had on was Mark Schnitzler. Because he, he did the most important episode and also killed the show. So... That's <laughs> we had him on. We're like, nope, we're done. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Mark. Mark Thank Schnitz. Schnitz. Drop the mic. Show is it's over. Schnitzler's Nothing to follow. Fault. <laughs> this is one of those times that I just, you know, we've always wanted to do something like this, and going down this journey with you, and and you know, yes life has to progress and living in the past it's fun to revisit the past but you can't live in the past you said that so beautifully but it was damn fun and awesome going down and reliving all of this stuff with you and then also seeing the journey that it's put us on and and the changes in our lives and all that stuff it's just been absolutely awesome and i i it's been such a wonderful, wonderful part of my life doing this with you. I feel the same. I totally feel the same. I want to thank you, Chad, for doing this. Uh, I want to, you know, there's been ups and downs. We've had, it hasn't happened so much in the last two years, but we've had our disagreements. Uh, it is stressful putting this out. We put each other through some stress, necessary and unnecessary, and and I, everybody knows that I'm not the most easy person to work with or deal with or be friends with or just ever encounter. Um, you <laughs> say hi to on the street. You're great at what you do. <laughs> You're a complete. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to that, I'm going to just say uh, happy trails, Hans. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. That was really abrasive. Maybe I should do a take two. Yes. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs>